0: Well, welcome to Sovereign Grace and a special welcome to all of our precious and dear mothers. I'm honored myself to have my mom here with us this morning and to have my wonderful wife, who is a great mom, with us as well. I think between the two of them, uh, I have hope in the future. Um, Yeah, I'm going to solicit a little bit of pity and give you a disclaimer at the same time at this point this week has been probably the the hardest week work-wise in my entire life. And and I am running on about uh, four hours of sleep in the last 36 hours. And so that's to get some pity from you, okay? Um, It's also to actually solicit prayer. And if I say anything really crazy, it's a disclaimer to cover that, okay? But I want to say this, that as we honor our moms, Ultimately, we're honoring God who gave us our moms and who makes godly moms. And, you know, for me, having godly women in your life to illustrate the love of Christ is amazing. And also, the the mom that God gave me is probably the reason that I made it through this week, because she taught me to work and work hard. So I want to honor the Lord by honoring her this morning. Um, if you would, let's do this. Let's pray together and pray for me and with me in this as we prepare to go into uh, probably a section of Scripture you wouldn't necessarily think about going to on Mother's Day. But I think it would be encouraging and edifying to all of us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your sovereign grace. We thank you for the way you have moved upon sinners to testify to the glorious work of your son who submitted himself to death on our behalf to show us your great love for sinners like us and to transform us into your servants who will testify to your grace and your greatness forever. We pray today as we come to your word that we would see how we as your servants would respond to your grace in practical ways this morning, that we would see how our lives should be transformed, that in everything that we do in word or deed, we would do for the glory and praise of your name, God, who has saved us and who has set us apart to be your ambassadors here on earth. We pray that you would bless this reading of scripture and the prayers that we have brought to you today already. So that you would be honored and that you would fill our minds and hearts with the truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, please turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, verse 14 and i'm going to read down to verse 24 we're going to primarily look at really 14 to 21 but let's read this in its context colossians 3:14 the apostle paul writes here and above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful Verse 17, everything, he says, whatever it is, word or deed. Then he gives us some really practical illustrations of where that needs to be applied. Verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey In everything, those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Again, he repeats this. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Oftentimes we read that text. And we read verse 17 and we sort of pause there and we stop and think, okay, what's his next point? Well, his next point is not disconnected to what he has just said. It's tied directly into it. That's why we have this list of really commands that we are to follow given to us in very practical ways here in verses 18 down to 24. And I know it's Mother's Day and, and I, I realize that this may seem in some senses as an odd text to go to, uh, cause it seemingly, if you look at the weight of it, it seemingly is, is aimed at men and dads more than it's aimed at moms, but don't worry ladies, it'll hit you too, okay? Uh, but if, if, if we look at this, you think it's all focused on the dads, I mean that's the biggest part of it here. Well I think if we want to honor our moms, I think we need to begin to cultivate strong Christ-exalting leaders in our homes through the ministry of our dads. So I want to try to honor our moms today by calling you men to be men of God in the home and that you would put on Christ-like qualities in your leadership so that your wives would submit to you joyfully in all things. Now, in this passage, the Apostle Paul is reminding us to, to put on those things, put on Christ-exalting qualities. And he's telling us to do it in our closest of relationships, is he not? In our homes, in our marital relationship, in our parenting relationship, and even in our vocational relationships as well. And he's telling us that because when, when Christ Jesus is put on display in our lives, and in particularly today, in our homes, we have the greatest assurance from God that that ministry in the home will make a deep impact on this world. It is not just for us, but it is for the generation to follow. But it has to begin in the home. There has to be a model. There has to be a model of what it looks like to submit to Jesus and all things and whatever we do in word or deed to glorify Him, including our parenting. I want you to understand how important this is because when, when the world sees what He is calling for here when they see this happening in our lives as Christians, see us applying verse 17 practically when the world sees wives joyfully submit to their husbands. Notice I preface that with joyfully, okay? because in Christ it can be done joyfully when the world sees this. They, they, they see the testimony of Christ's lordship reigning in the hearts of these women. When their hearts are bowed before God who gave them their husbands, they joyfully respond to His goodness in word and deed through submission, joyful submission. And when the world sees dads and husbands in particular sacrificially loving their wives, these men are testifying to the love of Christ this being manifest in their actions. And when the world sees children, kids, you're included. And the world sees children trusting and obeying their parents. You know what they're testifying to? They're testifying to Christ's direction of the mom and dad, practically. See, see kids aren't going to respond well if you take them away from God's word. You tell them certain commands, you give them certain rules, but you give them no foundational reason for those things and they don't respond well. But when our kids do respond, whether they are saved or unsaved, they're going to respond. If you lead them by God's grace through his word, they're going to display and testify to their trust and obedience that testifies to the direction that the parents are taking them. These are rare things today. Rare qualities to be seen in our world today, are they not? And here in in Colossians 3, Paul tells us that if Christ-like qualities are going to be seen in our selfish and sin-sick world, then we must do what he says in verse 17. We must let the word of Christ dwell in our hearts. How much? Richly. It says make ample room, abundantly, and actually, this is a parallel verse over to Ephesians when the Apostle Paul tells us to do this same thing, yet to be filled with the Spirit. As you let the word of Christ dwell in your heart truthfully, you are filled with the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit to do the very things that he is commanding them to do in verses 18 to 24. This is the, the Apostle Paul's progression of thought here when we come to this verse. Let's look at verse 17 again, just real quick. And take note of his main points here. And whatever you do, and whatever in this Greek text, original text, means whatever, okay? Whatever you do in word or deed, whatever you do that's coming out of your heart and through your lips, that's your word. Whatever you then apply to your feet that's ruling in your heart, whatever you're doing, do it all. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus that's a pretty lofty command, is it not? Everything we do, whatever we do, do it in such a way that it's going to make Jesus look supreme. Make Jesus look honorable, powerful, compassionate, loving. Including the way we relate to our spouse and our children. Whatever we do. So that giving of thanks to God would be actually accomplished. Through him, through Christ who has changed us, whatever we do in word or deed, this should be done under Christ's lordship. And he's telling us here that when our when our hearts, if you go back and read the previous text, he's telling us when our hearts are ruled, dominated or umpired by the peace of Christ and guided by his word, it's going to transform us in every aspect of our life and the world's going to take notice. Don't you always, you know, find that when the world talks to you about your parenting or about your relationship with your spouse and they they look at you and say, but I don't get it. You know, even when your kids don't like what you're telling them to do, they're still respecting you. Maybe they're, you know, moaning and groaning about it. And that happens to all of us. But the fact is, there's some sort of trust that has been built, some sort of reason for why you're parenting that's been established so that the kids look at that and go, I don't get it, but I know that they have this command from God that they are following, and I'm going to honor them. And I want to honor them because they're faithful in their parenting. He's telling us when our hearts are ruled by these things, by the peace of Christ and the word of God, the word of Christ, it will transform us in every area of our life that's why it's it's important as you read Colossians 3 it's important for us to understand the command to dwell in God's word not occasionally but constantly and do it thankfully knowing that look what God can produce and change in my life it's it's going to bring him glory on the last day he's telling us to do this because when we are filled with his word and his spirit we're going to seek to do everything we do in life in order to praise Jesus' name, including our parenting. We'll desire to magnify Christ and, and His revealed well, will in our lives in every area, including the way we tell our kids to go to bed, including the way we tell our spouse that we love them. Everything that we do should be driven by bringing praise to Jesus' name. And if we do fill our minds and our souls with God's Word, He's going to cultivate that desire inside of our hearts because we want to make much of Jesus in every area of life. So in order for us to to be helped by this, I think, this morning, though, I want you to understand a little bit about what's going on in the text, okay? He's he's moving in verse 17 down into 18 to 24, and he's, He's moving from a general command in verse 17 down into particular commands, as we saw there as we read the text, and he's telling them particularly how we are to put on Christ. How are we to display Christ? It means to, to put him on so that others can see his lordship over every area of our lives. He's telling us here how to put on Christ-like qualities practically, again, in our closest of relationships. He shows us that in verses 18 to 21. There, Paul shows us in particularly what the word of Christ dwelling in us should look like practically. And I'm going to give you an outline for this, okay? Here, God shows us how Christ-like qualities should be revealed in our marital relationships and our parental relationships. It's not real complicated. It's easy to see. In verses 18 to 19, we learn, number one, that our marriage relationship should reveal Christ-exalting actions, Look at verse 18. Wives, do something. Husbands, 19, do something, right? Action. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. There's some actions here that are revealing something about the Lord who saved us, the Lord who we are called to honor in everything that we do. Now, verse 18 describes how the word of Christ, I think, should be manifest in particularly In a wife's marital actions, and I know this is the the most precious verse to every woman in this church. I realize that. I realize that this can be a stumbling block, okay? I realize that this might be hard to take because you are married to sinners. And we fail often in our leadership. But that's not an excuse for you not to submit to God who gave you the husband to protect you and lead you. One of the ways you submit to God in that is you pray for your husband, especially if he is weak, especially if he's not converted. Pray that your life of submission will magnify Christ's qualities, Christ's likeness in such a way that he will ask you about the hope that lies within you when he is down on you all the time, when he's mistreating you, when you need to be protected. You have God on your side in this. In verse eighteen, wives, you need to remember this command flows out of verse sixteen. Okay, as you are dwelling on the words of Christ, this is what's going to fuel your submission to that weak husband, to that failure who lives with you, who needs God's grace constantly. Paul is pointing out that that your actions as a, a wife in marriage should reveal what you're dwelling on, should reveal the words of Jesus, should reveal the life of Jesus, the will of Jesus, even in this area and this specific application of your role as a woman. Your actions, ladies, in marriage ultimately reveal something very important. Your submission to your husband ultimately reveals whether or not you want to be submitted to God. The way in which you submit to your husband reveals whether or not you're truly thankful to God for giving this man to you to be your provider, your protector, and your counselor at times. Your actions in marriage will reveal your submission to God. A wife, in verse 18, we're told, is to submit. The the dirtiest word in the English language today. All right? It's It's the word no one wants to hear. I don't like to hear it. You don't like to hear it as a lady. I understand that because, again, you're married to flawed men. But this is the word that God gave us. And you ultimately look at who it's pointing to. It's pointing to God, not the man. This is what's fitting in the Lord. The word submit means to get in rank under God's direction and protection. Get in rank. Get in the place that you're supposed to be under God, who is sovereign, who granted you the ability to be a woman and granted you a husband. Get in rank under his direction and his protection that he has sovereignly chosen to give you in that specific role. Ladies, when when God calls you to be a wife, you realize that is a calling. That's one thing I can say as a husband is, I know absolutely that I am called to be a husband. I don't question my calling as a husband. I am a husband. And ladies, you don't have to question your calling as a wife. You are a wife. If you're married, that is. And he's calling you wives to joyfully submit to his plan, his direction, and his loving leadership through the husband that he has placed over you. In verse 18, submission here is, is again, like I said, it's focused on God, not man. Submit as is fitting in the Lord. You do that because a wife who submits to her husband as is fitting in the Lord reveals again Christ's rulership over her heart and her actions. It's through her willful actions that we see the power of the gospel being displayed in this woman who submits to this man who is far short of the mark that he is called to live up to. They're called to do this in spite of the husband's shortcomings and we all know that All of us husbands have many shortcomings, and we've all married above ourselves, and we're thankful for that because just think about what a wreck your house would be if you were in charge of it, all right? Meals would be, in my house, bologna, um, maybe the occasional hamburger, and the dishes would be stacked up to the ceiling, Um, and so I am thankful that in spite of my shortcomings, my wife... Is submissive as is fitting in the Lord to honor Jesus who saw that there's this, this man she's married to is a work in progress. Ladies, this kind of submission is important. It's, it's important and it's based out of the scriptures on God's will. It's, it's based on knowing that the Lord has ordained the roles and we believe in the roles of men and women in marriage. We're not egalitarians. We are complementarians here. Each are equal in God's sight regarding salvation, but each are giving distinct and marked out roles to live out in this world, to magnify the diversity of God's plan on the earth. I'm thankful for that. I would be a one-sided wreck if it wasn't for my wife. But God has given her to complement and complete what is lacking in me. God has placed the husband in this sovereign ordination of roles. He has placed the husband over the wife as her leader for her good and her protection. And ladies, this is God's favor to you. It's God's grace to you because that means that man you're married to is the one who's responsible to carry your burdens. When things go wrong in the marriage and in the relationship of any kind that you have, that you relate to your kids or relating in marriage, it is going to come back to the man being responsible to not lead well. If it's going south. I've heard John Piper talk about this. Talking about his wife, Noel, and saying that, you know, if we are having a fight because Noel is living in sin. And the door begins to make a noise as if someone's knocking. And I open the door and the Lord Jesus is standing there. Do you know what he's going to say? He's going to say, I need to talk to you, John. Because you're not leading your wife well. Then he'll say, I need to talk to Noel. Because she's in sin. But the man is ordained by God to lead his wife for her good and for her protection. And ladies, you need to rest in that. And men, if you're not doing that, you need to repent. You are not living with your wife in an understanding way. You're not treating her as a precious vessel of God. And that is a sin, according to 1 Peter. Now, it's important to remember that these marital roles like I said are ordained by God. This is a creation mandate. This is not a cultural mandate more. It's not something that we have came up with later on to suppress women. Now this is the way God ordained it from the beginning. He created the man and then the woman. And the order there was specific. He was created first to be the eyes and the ears and to look out and protect and to guide and comfort and care for the wife. Adam failed and men have failed ever since. Men are prone to two things. Aside from the biblical work of God in our hearts, we're prone to being dictators or abdicators. We, we put away our responsibility completely and say, ah, oh, I can't, she won't let me make any decisions. She can just do it all. Well, men, if you're doing that, let me just say this right up front. You're a coward. You are a coward. God has called you to be a man. And to take the brunt of any difficulties that come into your marriage. You need to step up and honor the one who called you to be a husband. And protect that woman. And if you're a dictator and you like to hold your wife under your thumb and say, I am the head of this house, you need to repent. Because you're just a jerk. And you're a poor representation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who loves his bride and gave his life to Protect her, not dictate us harshly and abusively. Now, knowing that this is a creation mandate and not a cultural mandate, I think you ladies should be somewhat joyful because this is God's plan. And that being the case, you have to understand that, that a lack of submission on your part isn't so much an affront to your husband, it's an affront to God. It's a lack of respect for God. It is a rebellious act against God. And it will bring about actions that will cause disunity and heartache in your homes. I guarantee it. Because you're going against God's plan. Now, heartache also follows if a husband abuses his role as leader and protector in the home. Because he's misrepresenting Jesus. And Jesus loves you too much to let you do that. So he's going to stop you. He's going to discipline you. He's going to correct you. At least you should pray that he does. The husband's delegated leadership, and understand it is delegated leadership, ordained by God, you're responsible, you're given this call to protect this woman who is to represent Christ's church. And protect her like Christ protects his church. That delegated leadership can't be something that you just develop on your own. Well, I do it the way my daddy did it. And he did it the way his daddy did it. And that's the way we're gonna do it. No. This delegated leadership has to be guided by God's Word. By dwelling in Christ's Word. It has to be done that way so that your actions will manifest God's intended results. It'll manifest Christ's love in your marital relationship. It'll produce a loving protection, a sacrificial patience. Guys, you're not going to like the rest of what I'm going to say in a minute, okay? So just hang on. But listen carefully because this is for the glory of God that we pursue these things. In 319, the apostle Paul tells us how the word of Christ is to be revealed or manifested in a husband's actions. Verse 19, he says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Agape your wives. Agape love is based on neediness, not worthiness. Don't love them because they're doing what you want. Love them because that's what they need. And that requires sacrifice. That's why I think he follows with don't be harsh with them because it does take sacrifice. And we as men have a tendency to get frustrated very quickly. And we can move from love to really being harsh. is just a matter of breaths. But he's telling us, guys... Don't be harsh. Man, I know this is going to convict you. It's been convicting me all week. I've had a crummy three weeks. And God is sovereign and good in giving it to me because it's sanctifying my heart. But I have been harsh. I've been bitter. I've been short with my wife. Which has caused me great sorrow. But man, we're commanded here not to do those things. We are commanded... Not to be bitter, not to be impatient, not to be thoughtless in our words. And that's how we hurt our wives most. If you're like that, then again, as I said, you're a lousy picture of Christ-like love. You have to understand that harsh words hurt wives on a level that we don't understand. Ronnie and I can have a disagreement and I can say, Ronnie, you're an idiot. And he's like, yeah, but you are too. And so we just go back and forth. But if I was to say that to my wife, those words would echo throughout the rest of our marital relationship. She would think I doubt everything that she does. She would think that I don't count her as a worthy partner with me in the ministry. It'll wreck them deeply. It'll wreck your unity. And here's something, guys, you need to understand. When you when you use harsh term, terms and tones with your wife, you need to think about how hypocritical that is. You would never let another man talk to your wife the way you talk to her in private. Think about that the next time you're tempted to fall in this sin. Honor the Lord by loving her like Christ loves the church. That's what you're called to do by God as a husband. You're called to represent Jesus' love for his bride. Is Christ a harsh, bitter, impatient, thoughtless protector? Are we? Yeah, a lot of times we are. But that's not what we're called to be. Maybe it's a result of not having the word of Christ richly dwelling in us is the reason we respond so impatiently with our wives with harsh terms. But we're being told here in verse 17 that that can be resolved. You you let the love of Christ, the words of Christ dwell richly in you. And then Christ's love will come out of you. It'll show up with patience towards your wife when she's doing something that just irritates you to no end. Cause it'll make you think, how often is God patient with me when I do that to him? It'll cultivate a desire to sacrifice for her, not just because that's your duty, because that's your delight. So that you can see Christ magnified through her life. You he will sacrifice your free time, your Fun for the sake of seeing her elevated and sent to be encouraged by others. In Ephesians, turn there with me, Ephesians 5. In Ephesians five twenty-five to 28, we see what this should look like. Now, Lena and Isaiah are going to hear this text again next Saturday as I preach and teach and minister in their wedding. And this is a good text that every... Couples should actually come back to often and be reminded of how God wants us to interact with our wives and our husbands. But here in particularly, I want to look at the text about the husband's way he should illustrate the love of Christ practically here. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, that is, set her apart, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, bracket that, guys. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. You think about that. That's a very practical illustration. You take care of yourselves, guys. Trust me, I, I, I know we're all wearing about three sizes bigger than we need to, okay? Just think about if you expended the energy on your wife that you expend on yourself. Think about how Christ would be magnified in your marriage. Christ here sacrificially loves his bride. In verse 25a, he gives himself up for her. It's not just that he dies for her. You understand, right? The, The positive righteousness of Christ, the life he lived in obedience to fulfill all the law of God for us. He lived for his bride. He lived for the church and he died for the church. And he rose again to bring him bring his bride back to himself one day in righteousness. But look, understand this. Christ gave himself not just in death, but in life. And husbands, you're called to do the same thing. It is so easy for guys to say, man, I'll take a bullet for my wife. I'll stand up for. Her. Yeah, but will you sacrifice your free time for her? Will you sacrifice maybe what you have dreamed about doing for the sake of what she needs you to do? Are you willing to get a job and work Because you don't want her to have to do that? Because you want her to be able to be nourished and encouraged by other women who could be alongside her during the week? Guys, we we have to think through this. Are you willing to live for the good of your bride? Sacrificing for her sake. Verse 26 to 28 tells us that Christ carefully... Not just sacrificially, but carefully loves his bride. He washes her with the word. He works in a way that is constantly cleansing her. And that way he is constantly protecting her. Men, are you doing that? I fall short. Yeah, pastors fall short too, okay? Okay. But if we consider our wives as precious vessels and ordained by God to be our partners in ministry and in the grace of God, then why aren't we doing this? Because a lack of respect for God, a lack of honor to God. You want to, you want to know why we honor moms? It's because God has called us to do so because it honors his love and compassion to us. when we see that in them. He's loving his bride constantly and cleansing her and protecting her. And men, that's what we're called to do as well as husbands. Because it magnifies the gospel. The gospel is something that God has decreed. And it's something that Jesus did. It was a sovereign choice and it was a sovereign act in time. You have made a choice of your wife the day you took the vows with her. And now you've got to live out time with her. You've got to act on those vows the rest of your life. It's not just something you say. It's something that you do. Love is an action. You are to act on it. So here's, here's a couple of questions. Hard questions intended to create soft hearts, okay? Men, are you joyfully or bitterly leading your wife through your actions as a husband? Are you doing it joyfully or are you doing it grudgingly? Does she think that you are bitter or thankful for the role that God's given you? Are you holding back because you're bitter? And does she see it? I'm sure she does. Or does she know that you are thankful, even though the times are hard and the sacrifices are great, you're willing to do it for God's glory and her good? Here's another question. Are you leading her? In every area in which God calls you to lead her. Are you leading her spiritually? Are you leading her sacrificially? Doing things that would bring her joy? There's nothing wrong with that. She likes a certain style of music. She likes to go to a certain restaurant. Go, even if you hate both, and enjoy it because she enjoys it. That should bring you joy to see her happy. Are you leading her spiritually, sacrificially? And then, guys, ask yourself this. Are you leading her patiently? Are you patiently magnifying Christ's love in your leadership? And that's the one that gets me. Sherry and I have a lot of likes the same, you know, so it's easy to go do things with her. But am I patient with her? Am I patient as Christ is patient with me? I fall short, and so do you guys. I'm confident of that that common fallen condition that we all have, right? But I want you to understand something. It's not too late to start doing what God has called you to do so that Christ would be glorified in everything, in word or deed, that you do as a husband. Let this text convict you of that and move you into action. Now, in Colossians 3.20, go back there with me. 3.20 to 21. Somebody removed Colossians from my Bible. There it is. Okay, I am tired. I'm sorry. Um, in three twenty to twenty one, the apostle moves now again from from how Christ's word is manifest in our marriages, and now he's moving into my second point: how Christ's word should be manifest in our parenting, in our parenting in a practical way. Here, look at verses twenty to twenty one. Children, everyone who's a children, raise your hand. Ah, we all are. Particularly here, though, children who are still under the care of their parents. Okay. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now, verse 21, there's, there's a, there's a word there that we, we struggle with a little bit, the word fathers. And it is, I think, in the weight of the, the, the reading, it's pointing primarily to male leadership, to, to dads. But it can be translated parents. Okay, just so you know that, if you're gonna go back and check me out. But I think that it does lend its, Understanding to being focused on the dad, in particular, in the flow of the context here. He says, our parenting relationship should manifest Christ-exalting directions, instructions. Okay? Our parenting should produce something that testifies that we are dwelling in the word of Christ personally. It should be producing that evidence in our children in the way in which we direct them the way in which we parent them in verse 20 he addresses children again it's just simply offspring still under the care of their parents and here children are commanded to obey obey the parents that god placed over them this does not mean that you have to have saved kids to do what you tell them to do that's not what this means it's nice makes it a little easier They still disobey because of indwelling sin. But nonetheless, he's simply saying, children, do what your mom and dad direct you to do. My question, then, when I come to that text is, well, how are they going to do that? You know, how how are they going to learn to submit to this? How are they going to learn to to love their parents as they should? Duh! He just told us about submission and love. Where are they going to see it? What's the weight of the argument here for children? Obey your mom and dad. Submit and love what I tell you. Well, guess what? Mom and dad are illustrating it. I think it's helpful to look at verses 18 to 19. When you read verses 20 and 21, that's the answer. Submission and love that's exercised by the parents out of a desire to honor Jesus Becomes the model for the children to follow. And this is pleasing to the Lord. See, they they see it. They see the parents' instruction. And that pleases the Lord. They see, even though they may not obey perfectly, they still see there's something legit about mom and dad because they really do submit to one another. They really do love one another. They do work together for my good. And that example will go a long way in cultivating a God-pleasing reaction in your kids, whether they're saved or not. Children who see their mom put on joyful submission to God's call in her life as a wife and see dad put on sacrificial love by leading and caring for mom, those children can trust in the direction of their parents because they see it lived out. They see Christ-like love manifested in their actions. In the relationship. The, the, the home is, is what we call the little church. It's the teaching ground. It's the foundation stone. They need to see the gospel lived out between mom and dad if you want to see them come to faith in Jesus Christ. And that is our only and main desire as parents. I don't care if my kids are rich. I don't care if my kids are poor. If they know Jesus, I'm happy. That's my only goal. As a parent. If they can read, that's great. They can read scripture now. If they can write, that's great. They can encourage others now. It's through the kind of modeling that we see here, though, I think, that we find there is there is a fruitful response to your children when you tell them that is wrong, you must stop because it is sin. And sin leads to death. And death is why Christ had to come to take your place and my place upon a cross. And sin is ugly in my life, kids. Look at the way I disrespected your mom. Look at the way I didn't submit to your dad. And I am broken over this. Listen to the words I say. There is hope to change your sinful patterns. Look to Christ. Since they're your modeling that you're leading your children evangelistically and they're going to listen because they see the fruit of salvation in your marriage, in your relationship. Now the text goes on to say, verse 21, that this, this responsibility falls primarily on the dad. He elaborates on who is most responsible for cultivating Christ-like qualities in all these relationships. And, And that responsibility of training our kids and teaching them to learn how to obey the Lord and honor their moms is put into the hands of fathers. Remember, God is the one who ordained male leadership in order to guide them to Christ through your love of your wife, through your submission to his word yourself, so let me let me address dads again. Guys, it's just heavy on your side today. I'm sorry, sort of, um, because it's, it's beating me up. I'm just sharing it with you. Uh, let me address you men. I'm going to include all you men and dads in particular this morning for a moment. Men, you need to evaluate your actions, even if you're not married. Do your actions in life magnify the greatness of Jesus or the ridiculousness of your immaturity? Grow up, men. Husbands, dads, singles, grow up. You have a role to play in this world to magnify Christ through your maleness. And I'll say it, maleness. Men, in particular dads, you need to evaluate your actions at home. Husbands, evaluate your actions at home. Evaluate your words and evaluate your attitudes. Attitudes. Let me ask you these questions. Dads, do you provoke your wife using harsh words in front of your children? Anybody ever guilty of that? Don't raise your hands. Do you provoke your wife using harsh words in front of your children? Don't be surprised when your kids do it. If you're doing it. That's not teaching them to honor God's word and to honor their mom. Be careful with your words in front of your kids. Dads, do you willfully... On a positive note, do you willfully honor your wife's needs above your own in front of your kids? Guess what? If you do that, so will your kids. They'll honor their mom. That's because you're putting the word of God on display in your home. They see the model. They see the illustration. They see the reason as you work with them. Your actions will teach volumes to your kids about what it means to please the Lord. Parents listen, kids are going to react to your loving direction or your lack thereof. They're always going to respond. They're going to be disciples either way. We just want to make sure we're discipling we're discipling them toward Christ. And what we need to remember as we look toward the end of this text, kids will react, and kids will respond if they don't see patience and encouragement modeled in their family, in their lives. If they don't see this modeled in their lives and the relationship between their mom and dad, they won't be able to trust their parents' direction and correction and understand that it is meant for good in their lives. It is meant to protect them and help them. They won't get it if we're beating them down, if we're crushing their spirits, if we're harsh with our spouse. They will not see Jesus. We all need to repent and recognize the evangelistic opportunities that lie in our own homes. When we fail to put on Christ-likeness in our correction, Paul tells us what it will produce, what it looks like here. And he mentions it in verse 21. If you're not dwelling in the word, if you're not letting the rule of Christ, the love of Christ rule your hearts, you will do what it says in verse 21. You'll be provoking your children to despair. Exasperating your children. Exasperate means to break the spirit. It means to produce despair that gives no hope. You've broken him. He's done something wrong. You just let him have it. you harsh and bitter and mean, and you say words that will hurt him, but you broke him. Yeah, you may have broke him. You may have crushed him, and that's not what this is calling for. It's not provoking them to despair that we correct our children. It's to point them to Jesus. And how fallen we are and how far we fall short of his call on our lives, so we can tell the kid, There's hope in God. There's hope in God. You haven't blown it, you have failed. So do I. But I have hope and so do you. Doesn't mean you get out of punishment, you still get the punishment. Discipline comes because I love you and God loves me and he disciplines me when I do wrong. Therefore, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it to try to point to you that there is something that God has planned for this punishment. It is to set me apart for his glory and for the good of growing in his grace. And that's why I want to parent you the way I parent you. So parents, just listen to this. You must never use your authority in correcting your children to provoke them to anger. Guys, men in particular, you're prone to this. You are prone to this. Be careful. Uh, We don't want to hurt their feelings. There's sometimes we do. They've made us mad. They've disrespected us. By goodness, I'm going to show that kid. And we say something that we will never, ever be able to take back. We crush his spirit. We're never to do that because heavy-handed correction and discouraging words and constant ridicule and lack of encouragement from a parent causes children to live without hope and grace to change. Aren't you glad that your moms didn't do that? And maybe they did. But by God's grace, mom can be saved, mom can be sanctified. And so can dad. This doesn't mean that we aren't to correct our children. We are. There are consequences to sin and disobedience, and they need to be meted out. The rod of reproof is ordained by God. Spank your children, but do it in love, not in anger. Don't do it to crush their spirit. Do it to point them to Christ and the reality of what sin brings into this world, which is pain and sorrow. the only relief from that is the gospel of Jesus. Direct them to the grace of God that has overcame your sins and is sanctifying you in your sins and even in your parenting failures. Dads, in all this, remember that we are called to emulate our Heavenly Father by being full of loving kindness and patience and love and hope for the sake of our kids and for the encouragement of our wife, of their mom. If you want your kids to, to love and understand why you discipline them, why you care for them. I mean, all of us can look back now, if you're, if you're over 20 anyway, you can look back now and think, I know my mom and dad corrected me. They loved me. But, but just think about how, how you could bless your children with saying, I want to tell you why I'm correcting you is because I, I need the correction of God myself. I fall short. And His grace is more than sufficient to rebuke me and to cleanse me and to cause me to walk in obedience. And we want that grace of obedience to be manifested in our kids because it puts the love of Christ and Christ's qualities and leadership on display in our homes. And for you as parents to learn how to do this, what you can simply do is start off with very basic steps. Number one, spend time with your kids. I'm so busy in ministry at times, I neglect this. I really do. And it is something to my shame that I need to repent of. Spend times shepherding their hearts by dwelling on the word of God with them. Spend time modeling Christ's love in the role that God's given you in the home. It's the place that you're able to remind them of God's grace and correction daily to overcome your sins and your selfishness as you interact with your spouse. Because that's what you long to do, because you long to please the Lord. I think that's what Paul meant by saying what he said at the beginning. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, including and especially parenting. It's by this that Christ's word will be manifest in the world. And we can be confident that when Christ-like qualities are reflected in our homes, the world will take notice and people will be changed, starting with our kids, starting with ourselves. Now, I want to say this in conclusion here. I want to say that I am thankful for all the godly mothers here today that reflect those qualities that I spoke about in our homes, the godly wives. There's one quality that that all godly moms reflect, and it astounds me to see it lived out over and over and over again. And all all of you that are moms, I've seen it. And it's worthy of honor and imitation by all the rest of us. So let me end on that note. By having you go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. After I read this, I'll pray for all the moms in our congregation and we will be dismissed. But listen to this one quality that all godly moms reflect that is worthy of honor and imitation today. Verse 3. It's honorable to see this. It's honorable to imitate this because it magnifies Christ. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Moms seldom... Do anything from selfish ambition. They give everything up for their kids. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Does that not speak of moms? Let each of you look not to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Why, Paul? Because this is the mind of Christ. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be asserted, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is kurios, is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And moms, when you do these things in your role, I can't look at my wife. (laughs) In your role as a mom and as a wife, you are confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we all benefit from that. So may the Lord bless that and increase that in your lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your abundance of grace. We thank you for your word, your spirit. As you work out your sanctifying purposes in our lives and all of our relationships, we pray, God, that it would testify to your greatness as we do whatever we do in word or deed for the sake of your name, for the glory and magnification of Jesus and the, the gospel's power in our lives I pray, God, that we would all be astounded by this, that we would all be moved by your grace to us that is revealed in your word, and that our lives would continually be washed in it until Christ is completely formed in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.